0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new season of the Sox Machine Podcast presented by Visit Arizona. Planning on going to spring training? Make sure to start your trip at visitarizona.com slash training. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and yes, I did say a new season of the Sox Machine podcast as it's January 3rd, 2019 as we record this show, and for those that have been stuck with us since we started this show on Southside Sox, thank you and welcome to our sixth season talking about the team. For those that are new, welcome. We'll try to be your audio guide on making sense on what's going on with the Chicago White Sox for the upcoming 2019 season which is a great starting point because, man, these offseason rumors are all over the place and changing directions within the same day. Let's talk it through. And joining me for a sixth season is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast is Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Sixth season. I thought by now you'd be sick of me.
1: Well, I've been writing about the White Sox for 13 seasons now, and I'm not sick of them. So there you go. All
0: right. So as long as you're not sick of writing
1: about the White Sox. There's there's your ringing endorsement. <laughs>
0: yes! Woo! I'll take it. I'll take it. One of my, I guess, New Year's resolutions is to be more positive. It was really hard to be positive last season when covering a 100 lost team. But it's a new year, so I'll try to be a little bit more positive about the White Sox chances coming into the season, but still be realistic and new year, new year. Yeah, yes. And uh, maybe trying to be positive also comes from the fact that I've been sick the last week uh, during the holiday. So hopefully everybody had a better holiday than I've had. But I also tell you what I'm sick about. And it's how quickly these rumors are changing regarding the White Sox interest in both Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, Jim. Let's start with the most recent And that's the White Sox pursuit of Manny Machado. It first started with this audio clip we're going to play from Dodgers Talk Podcast, which is produced by 570 AM out of Los Angeles. This is the voice of David Vesey. Until Machado signs first, which I believe will come in the next week or two. And by the way, I talked to somebody today that's very close to Machado, and they think he's signing with the White Sox. So all the talk about the Yankees and Phillies, this guy knows Machado Probably better than anybody else I talked to. And he feels like he's going to sign with the White Sox. The White Sox are going to be the team that steps up. Wow, that's exciting. David Vesey clearly stating that his source knows Manny Machado is putting the White Sox as a front runner. That was followed up by USA Today's Bob Nightgale who has been used as a public megaphone by both owner Jerry Reinsdorf and executive vice president Kenny Williams in the past, who tweeted, The White Sox are more engaged with Manny Machado than Bryce Harper at the moment and have officially made an offer to Machado. They have yet to make a formal offer to Harper, but have been in constant contact. This is amazing. Not only have the White Sox made a formal offer, but they're also could be the frontrunner. See, the New York Yankees signing Troy Tulowitzki this week was a sign that they won't be landing Machado. Oh, wait. Since David Vesey's comment about Machado got publicized on Twitter, he's now saying what he clearly said on his podcast, that's not what he said. He even went 6-7 to score and debated about this with Matt Spiegel. That's true. It was his source that said Machado's going to the White Sox, not say. See, it's 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 all about the definition of what it is. Let's just be clear on that. Then Nan backed up his tweet in his latest USA Today column writing quote, it's characterized as a serious offer likely closer to two hundred million than three hundred million, but not enough to sway Machado to board a flight from Miami to Chicago for a press conference. So what Vise said about Machado, which we just played the audio from his published show, isn't what he said. And Nyingale is reporting that the White Sox have made a formal offer, but it's not good enough to get Machado to sign at the moment. Jim, this is a good example of why I hate the MLB offseason now. You get excited because something could be coming down the pipe and you have reporters now trying to one-up each other with rumors of what direction this is all going and even... Now, some who are denying what the other reporters are saying, even though they did say it. There's also what was written about Bryce Harper this past Wednesday. We have to get into that. But Machado, we think, will sign before Harper and could sign soonish. So, with all this timeline with the Manny Machado and White Sox rumors from yesterday, what do you make of the latest rumors? And do you think that the smoke surrounding the White Sox interest in Machado? is real.
1: I think the interest is real. I think that's probably the simplest question to answer. Um, you yeah, know, I think they're, in, I would say, in it to win it. As far as no, I guess we'll find out when the dollars are there, um, you know, how close the White Sox came if they miss out. But right now, it's, you know, they're making as much of an effort as, uh, you know, two other teams in the league. The other 27 are apparently out of it. And so, uh, uh, you know, you have to say the White Sox are real in that regard. When it comes to the the other stuff, um, you know, when it, especially like this time of year in the offseason, um, you know, no offense to David Vasse, I just I've never heard of him. You know, we're not we don't overlap with the Los Angeles market when it comes to uh, you know division null status or uh, you know any kind of natural rivalry. You know, n- they're not competing for playoff spots, so you know I haven't heard that name before. And when it comes to names I haven't heard, I just kind of more or less shrug. You know, I don't I don't uh, reject it, I don't accept it, I just file it away and and see if there is any kind of corroborating evidence there was the same thing with that report out of baltimore saying that machado was going to be a yankee um and you know i think the 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 writer in question baltimore writer also said that nick marcakis was going to sign a four to six year extension with the orioles and that didn't happen so I, I think his track record is shaky but you know when it comes to these kind of reports i just you know more or less um acknowledge that they exist but i don't really extrapolate further so when yeah, you know, when it came to you know that that report being blown up and him having to backtrack or qualify and say it was a source, you know, I don't know if that was confidence or or a lack of confidence and just getting that kind of exposure and and not wanting to be, you know, not expecting to be, I guess, that prominently featured in a rumor. And uh, I I did listen to the 670 the score interview and it did seem like you know he was kind of. Blaming White Sox fans a bit for being, you know, too excited, you know, kind of jumping the gun and and, and uh, amplifying his message. But you know, I think that comes to maybe not having confidence in his own report. So, for the time being, I'm just kind of throwing it out, and I think I'd put more stock in what Nightingale saying, and and what Nightingale said about the second report kind of echoes what uh, the path of the Bryce Harper rumor, in which you know something is stated very. Yeah, uh, you know, like in Nightingale's case, he says that the White Sox have a you know made a uh, offer to him, uh, you know, official offer, and then you get this uh, other report saying that they're the front runners. Then you have somebody saying, well, wait a minute, maybe not yet. They're still early negotiating, and you know they don't want their interest to be overstated. You know, if, if perhaps it's a pr- very preliminary offer. So I think right now it's all very exhausting, and I think it's uh, partially um, maybe. The result, or exhaustion, at least, are the result of the White Sox not swimming in this deep a pool. It's just annoying.
0: Yeah, I would, I would like to say just to, we played the clip, and it. He seemed very confident when he said it. I just wonder if he thought, well, only Dodgers fans are going to hear this, right? Dodgers Talk yeah. Podcast. Only Dodger fans are going to listen to this, and it blew up. And it got everyone's attention and blaming. How could you not be excited if you're a White Sox fan and you have someone from Los Angeles who's talking to a source who knows Manny Machado well? And they tell you that they think Machado is going to sign with the White Sox. How could you not think the White Sox fans would be excited to get a player like Manny Machado? Maybe if you have
1: my attitude and, and my first response is, who's he? <laughs>
0: I, true well you know the way that they break these stories now uh oh yeah
1: fox sports radio that's how i first saw the tweets as fox sports radio says yeah and then you know you drill down further and it's i think the pre-game post-game host who is you know has you know probably some connections and yeah you know, that's why i'm not disregarding it completely just more a matter of the way he responded and the way he sounded a bit annoyed with white Sox fans made it sound like he doesn't maybe have like, he was more maybe Uh, you know, kind of telling tales out of school and then realize like, oh, people are hearing this and, you know, it's not my fault (laughs) that it has this platform all of a sudden. Oh,
0: well, okay. So that's Bryce Harper. Let's, I'm sorry, that's Manny Machado. Let's move over to Bryce Harper. And for those that were hiding under a rock or not maybe paying attention, this is from Wednesday of this week in which Jeff Passan, now of ESPN.com, which is weird to say, And that will take some time to adjust. But anyways, Passan in his first column on ESPN.com wrote about Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. And this is what he wrote regarding Bryce Harper. Quote, The Phillies and White Sox are the other two teams known to be willing to guarantee Harper the decade plus long deal he and Machado, each 26 years old, are seeking. Harper's willingness to wait for a contract he deems suitable is real, according to a source who said he could see Harper's free agency stretching into February. Okay, the industry is saying the White Sox will offer 10-plus years to Harper. That's great. Means when they do make an offer, again from Nightingale, they haven't made a formal offer yet, it's a serious offer to land one of the game's brightest stars. Oh, wait. Bruce Levine of 670Score tweeted a few hours after Passon's column was posted, Tweeted, reports of the White Sox offering 10 plus years for Manny Machado or Bryce Harper are, quote, without substance and flat out wrong, end quote. According to a high ranking industry sources, whatever that means, White Sox will not be giving an offer of more than seven years for either player. I want to get to the seven year part in a moment, Jim. We should believe in the White Sox pursuit of Harper. But who should we believe more? The national guy, Jeff Passon, who breaks MLB transactions all of the time or the local radio guy who has been on the beat for 25 plus years because these are two conflicting reports.
1: I would say right now, I believe in Levine's report just because, you know, like we talked about Machado report, it seems like, yeah, the way I read it, the no, way I read Passon's report first and then I read the, what the, you know, Theoretically, the White Sox had the Levine afterwards. And it seems like, you know, there, I, I imagine there's a certain kind of etiquette and rumors, you know, and this kind of stuff where you have this kind of information and misinformation flying around to where, um, you know, there's going to be a certain level of BS on both sides because uh, it's all posturing and, and public negotiations before the private negotiations or during, you know, this whole dance. But there's probably a point where one of the two sides overreaches and the other side has to kind of call him out. And that's kind of my, my read on this is that when it comes to the White Sox and and probably the Phillies too, um, you know, they're probably not Harper's choice destinations, you know, either one, I think he'd love to be a Dodger. He'd love to be a Cub. uh, Maybe he would love to be a national, you know, if they up their offer, but uh, you know, he might take the White Sox and Phillies money, but ultimately he'd really like to see if these other teams get in the game. So it seems like, you know, when it comes to, you know, what, and especially probably trying to set a record at the same time. So when it comes to this whole, you know, dance, I, I think he's in a position to try to use the White Sox and Phillies. And, and so he says something like, you know, offering 10 plus years. And, you know, that's probably false. <laughs> that's probably something like, you know, trying to get another team to pony up and get just as serious as the White Sox and Phillies currently are, you know, say if the White Sox are at eight years or something like that, and the Dodgers are at five, you know, you might say 10 to try to get the Dodgers to eight. You know, that, that's something that, you know, might be the case here. And, you know, if he's saying 10 plus years for the White Sox, and the White Sox haven't gotten there yet with their private discussions, you know, they have the right to say, um, you know, kind of smack their hand away for overreaching and say, uh, nope, <laughs> that that's, hasn't happened yet. We haven't crossed that bridge. And I think, you know, there's interesting, uh, I guess, difference in wording. I think, you know, Levine's uh, first tweets and, and the first story, the way he presented it, said, you know, they, they won't go more than seven. In the story on 670, the score uh, on the website, uh, the way uh, it says in the lead is they plan not to offer deals longer than seven years. And when they say it's in, in, you know, they do not plan to, you know, you know about plans, they, they get disrupted very easily or you can give a little ground and such. So I think that's the kind of wording I think that is more appropriate or closer to the truth of the White Sox that, yeah, right now they're saying seven, but they they plan to stick to seven. But, you know, plans get broken and, and you know, the adjustments are made. And all of a sudden you're talking eight, nine, maybe 10. But I think uh, right now probably where they're talking and how slow Harper's uh, market is moving, I imagine they just haven't gotten to 10 yet. You know, that, that pressure hasn't been pushed up yet. And so maybe the White Sox are saying, like, we haven't said that yet. I believe in Bob Nightingale when
0: he says that the White Sox have made a formal offer and they haven't made a formal offer yet to Harper.
1: Yeah, it seems like his market is yeah, a lot slower to where it hasn't gotten to that point yet.
0: Right, right. Which, let's go back to the 7 year mark because to me that that's a sticky point let's say Levine is right that the White Sox will not go more than seven years with either Harper or Machado Jim and again one of my resolutions this year is to be more positive so I will start by saying a seven-year deal for Machado I think is possible why because as you alluded to before with sending a rumor out that the White Sox are interested in a 10-year deal let's say it's only an eight-year deal but the Dodgers are at five because you would have pulled the Dodgers closer to the 10-year mark I I think that the preferred destination for Machado is the New York Yankees. Would you agree? Sounds like it by all accounts. Okay. So, because I don't see the Yankees offering more than seven years. And the reason I feel that way is that they've been on on a lot of free agents this offseason. And they've lost out because they were offering fewer years. In a way, maybe just being stubborn that they weren't willing to go additional years with starting pitchers for example like Patrick Corbin and Nathan Uvalde the Yankees were very interested they didn't land either because they weren't going to go six years with Corbin and they weren't going to go four years with the Uvalde thus both pitchers went elsewhere so the Yankees continue that trend with Manny Machado They're, they will take on Manny Machado they will be more than happy to sign Manny Machado but on the Yankees terms not Manny Machado's so because of that I could see where the White Sox could sign Manny Machado for a seven-year deal. Okay, so that's the positive. Now it's my time to vent. The seven-year part when it comes to Bryce Harper Jim makes no sense to me because shortly after the regular season, there was a report that the Washington Nationals owner didn't bother uh, saying that it was incorrect, that the Nationals offered a 10-year, $300 million contract to Bryce Harper, and he declined it. To me, that's the bar. Every team needs to clear that, in my opinion, if they want to sign Bryce Harper, because he's already said no to a 10-year, $300 million deal with a team that is going to be very competitive in 2019, a postseason contender, somewhere that he's very comfortable, this is the team that he started with, and he said no. He wants more than that. If no team is willing to beat the Nationals' offer of the 10 years, I think you're wasting your time and you're wasting Bryce Harper's time and you're wasting Scott Boris's time and you're getting fans hope up for an effort that may seem serious, but when it's time for rubber to meet the road and make it an offer, your offer isn't going to be close to what's already out there in the public. That's why I have a hard time believing Bruce Levine's report on the seven years, because if it's true, then the White Sox efforts were dead on arrival from the start. And everyone in baseball knew the bar to be cleared was the Nationals offer, Jim.
1: Maybe. Uh, One thing I don't remember reading with the Nationals offer is whether it was deferred money, you know, whether it was 10 years, 300 flat rates, um, all paid, you know, those years or whether, you know, like they did with Max Scherzer and I think one other contract where they had a lot of deferred money. And so the real value of the contract wasn't nearly 300. That's a good point. Um, You know, that... Given the nationals how they've done that and and given that Harper rejected it pretty easily, um, you know, that's my clue is that or instinct is maybe there's something of that or you know, when it comes to Harper, I think the one thing you know there, there's a deferred money. And I think the other thing is maybe opt outs. Um, you know, if you did want opt outs, if you did want, say, if the Nationals are offering 10 for 300, you know maybe the real value of that contract is like 270 or something like that because of deferred money. And then there are no opt outs you know, maybe he could do better with Nate, year deal with an opt out after two or three. Um, you know, just, you know, that could be the kind of thing where, you know, maybe uh, the the 10 for 300 isn't quite as good as 10 for 300 normally is uh, sticker price. So that's, I mean, uh, and, it, and it seems to me like, you know, when it comes to the Nationals, it reminds me of the same position that the Cardinals are in with Albert Pujols, where they offered him a big deal we're kind of hoping he walked away and we're finally letting that deal hang out there to kind of show that they made an effort, but ultimately probably more comfortable with him walking away and and replacing him internally. And I kind of wonder if the Nationals, if that offer wasn't as generous as it quite sounded, you know, reasonably, you know, just with deferred money and other things they needed to do to stand under the luxury tax and and afford other players. And, um, you know, just for whatever reason, uh, it hasn't come out yet or hasn't been... Uh, emphasize enough, uh, you know, perhaps later in the winter, you know, say if Harper has a hard time meeting that 10 for 300, you know, at list price, then maybe you'll hear some things come out about how raw of a deal it was. But that was my first thought is just like, maybe it wasn't a straightforward 10 year, $300 million deal. So there is some wiggle room, but yeah, it's, to me, it's just seems like it's going to, you know, play out in February. And so the White Sox are saying seven years right now, just because uh, it's not a typical, major free agent signing where you you know you used to have like seven or eight teams in on these guys and now it's down to three pretty much immediately um you really don't even have like the winnowing off of you know starting at six and then you know a couple of teams fade out immediately this is just basically like three from the start and crossing fingers that more teams could get involved so you know if boris is trying to get the cubs involved or, or seeing if the cubs can free up money or you know, trying to get the Dodgers to, you know, clear more salary or space, you know, it could be a really long time. And so the White Sox don't have to offer more than they've been forced to yet. Those are good points, but I don't think a seven-year deal from the White Sox is going to net Bryce Harper. Oh, no. Unless it's like an opt-out after one or something like that. (laughs) It's like, you know, is seven years $40 million annually, you know, just, you know, record-setting average, but... Yeah, it's... You know, and then he's gone after one yeah. year. <laughs> I'm hoping, you know, with the with the White Sox, that they're not going to kind of pull up short and then pat themselves on the back for being a finalist, um, you know, which I think is a lot of fan skepticism, I'm hoping right now that they just have the luxury of time. Um, you know, that's the one thing they have that other teams don't is, you know, if other options come off the board, the White Sox aren't going to panic or, or, you know, worry about another, you know, divisional rival or league rival getting the jump on them. I think they're just in it for the big names. And so that's to their advantage and they can let this thing play out as slowly as possible because, um, you know, nobody's going to be really filling right field. Nobody is really going to be filling third base. It's just up to them. And
0: you make very good points, Jim. I just, when it comes to the 70 year, I don't see what the benefit is when you're talking about Bryce Harper and the White Sox want this out there from the local beat guy that they will not go more than 70 years for Bryce Harper. I, I don't understand how that's a positive for you in, in negotiations. Like, why would you want that information out there? So when it goes back to the high-ranking industry sources, I mean, is this really coming from the White Sox or is it coming from other people?
1: Yeah, I think it could be coming from the White Sox, but I mean – Setting that low of a bar uh, or, or a low of an offer in fans' minds, uh, on one hand, you know, does make you worry. On the other hand, it's, you know, given that in the in the language of the article where he said they don't plan to, you know, if they do break their supposed plans and all of a sudden go to nine years, they can pat themselves on the back for saying, you know, when, should they get the uh, signing done? You know, when they're at the co- press conference, you're introducing them, putting the jersey on, they can say, you know, we um yeah we intend to say seven but we believe in the player and we've made the commitment to the fans uh aren't we great for uh you know breaking our our self-imposed limits you know I, I think there's a little bit of that in there too where um you know it's not the primary intention but ultimately you know it's just words at this point and if they uh exceed their own limits nobody's going to pl- complain about it in fact they'll be looked at as being like you know, breaking character and being exciting and free spending. And, and I think fans will forget about the seven-year thing and, and really won't be, you know, holding their feet to the fire and calling them liars. They'll just be happy and, and surprised they got done.
0: Well, again, I think seven years could get Manny Machado. I think seven years for Bryce Harper, if you're the Chicago White Sox, is a laughable offer. Different if you're the Dodgers or the Cubs. But for the White Sox, that's not close.
1: Yeah, well, I think when it comes to both of them, I think the White Sox would be happy signing Machado and being done with the Harper <laughs> Derby. I you know, 100% agree with too. you, yes. Like, you know, they're, they're fine accelerating the Machado thing because if they do happen to land them, they don't want to alienate Harper just in case, you know, Machado does pick the Yankees, no matter, you know, what the White Sox offer. But mm-hmm. I, I think they're at the point where they're kind of saying like, hey, we're moving on Machado. Um Uh, uh, your leverage with us could be gone if if you don't take us seriously. There might be some of that too.
0: That really fits in how Rick has negotiated even some of the trades, right? Using the rumors of the Milwaukee Brewers and (laughs) hiding at all-star festivities behind a, what was it, Rawlings display or Louisville slugger and straight up telling Theo Epstein, listen, I got a deal ready to go for Jose Catana. If you want him, it's going to be Eloy Jimenez and
1: Dylan Cease. Yeah, and the Nationals and the Red Sox at the winter meetings uh, with uh, Chris Sale.
0: Yeah, that's perfect, Jim. I I agree with you 100%. That is Rick Hahn's style. So for us White Sox fans, in my opinion, go get Manny Machado. If you can get Manny Machado, you can go get A.J. Pollock. He'll be a boost in the outfield. There are other options. You could bow out of the Bryce Harper sweepstakes If the White Sox land Manny Machado, I don't know what happens to the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. I really don't. Because it just seems like it's the Philadelphia Phillies, but you know, you know, and I agree with you, Jim, I don't think Harper is going to sign until the week of players reporting for spring training. This is mid-February that I think that he'll sign. And I just have a feeling, Jim, Boris is waiting and waiting patiently until the Dodgers and Cubs figure out their rosters and see if they could create an opening for Harper. It's like they're, they're trying to force an, a, a situation which one of those two teams that seem to be content with the rosters at the moment in their payroll uh, decide to change their minds.
1: And, and you know, we've seen Boris wait before, and sometimes it results in Prince Fielder getting a great deal from the Tigers, and sometimes it results in Mike Moustakis getting one year from the Royals. I don't think Harper's getting a one-year deal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a lot of questions for P.O. Sox. Shocker, uh, the vast majority of them were about Harper and Machado. So typically we hold P.O. Sox later to the show, but this is different. It's a different scenario. So we're going to bring them to the forefront. So we have four questions regarding Harper and Machado. First question comes from Airflow77 on Twitter, Jim. And they're asking, could the White Sox front load a contract to Machado or Harper? If so, would not it be more cost effective since they have a low payroll for the next few years? Would there be any drawbacks to front loading a contract?
1: Not really for the front office. I think it's more about the player and just, um, you know, more about inflation, average annual value, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the player gets paid, especially say if, salaries go up and i think this was maybe more of a concern before when you know salaries kept going up um payrolls kept going up and and, you know players could be kind of lost you know maybe in the back half of their deal to where all of a sudden they're getting paid 13 million and uh you know a player of their caliber is making 20 and all of a sudden you know um it's just you're now feeling underpaid so i think there's a bit of that but maybe now with payroll's leveling off and and not a whole lot of teams spending that maybe that is something that's more uh palatable to players or maybe there won't be that kind of fear of um being behind the curve in the second half of the contract and, and kind of being underpaid relative to market so yeah that's something worth considering i just think that maybe front loading and and maybe like say if you're talking about front loading say like 40 million up front to try to pay 20 million later um I'm not sure how that's uh, you know how that affects the White Sox when it comes to you know payroll and how they normally process these things and space them out. That, that nobody knows exactly what a 480 million salary looks like on, on books, but um, you know it's an interesting idea and I think something that hasn't been floated much just because it's been historically unpopular with players. But um, you know it could be a new reality of the market um, if say the, the baseball is operating under a salary cap or kind of a de facto salary cap that um, players might have to get creative, um, in order to somehow get the cash they want without, um, yeah. And get the years they want, even if it might not have taken the shape of a classic mega deal. Our next question comes
0: from Paul Riker and Paul is asking, Jim, what is your ceiling for years or money that you would offer Bryce Harper or Manny Machado?
1: I would say 10 years sounds fair. Um, you know, based on what's happened before and, and some contracts have worked, some contracts haven't, but I'm, you know, when you watch guys like Robinson Cano get traded and, and Justin Verlander got traded and, and um, it seems like, you know, maybe Jason Hayward aside and and the way he, you know, his, his power just hasn't materialized. I think that's kind of a worst case scenario, but in a lot of these cases, these contracts can be moved. And I think Albert Pujols maybe a bit older, so he, he's not quite a, uh, comp i would say jason hayward's a better comp than albert poohol's when it comes to the mega deal uh 10-year deal but it seems like there's a way to move these guys if needed um you know even if they have to eat salary or um you know somehow carry their that money on their books there's a way to move them. you can get out from under them um to me it's just more of a matter of what the salary light is like at year three and how that matches up with um yeah, the rest of the payroll. Because when it comes to the White Sox, you know, we've talked about this many, many times, um, yeah, you know, we have no idea what they would look like if they ever made the playoffs two years in a row. You know, what kind of revenue monster would they could be, what kind of divisional, um, you know, what kind of head start they could have in the division if they're able to capture the spending power of a successful Chicago team in a division that has, you know, undermarket teams with them. So I, I think with Harper, you know, I'm not really worried about 10 years. I'm more worried about like just the rest of the rebuild coming along and, and being able to surround him by like year three and four. So, uh, the you know, 10 to 300, to 320. Um, yeah you know, at that point, it kind of gets more abstract, like <laughs> 320 at 350, 350 at 400. You know, it's all kind of just this uh, uh, unfathomable figure that the White Sox has never spent before. But I think in order for the White Sox to spend this money, uh, they're kind of counting on having this unprecedented, you know, like unprecedented money begets unprecedented success. And I think that's kind of the, the mindset I'm operating with to where, you know, obviously it's not my money. And so there's that going into it, but also just the, you know, the White Sox are counting on this. They're counting on the whole rebuild. They're banking on the rebuild. If Harper's contract is a problem like halfway through and it's it's a, it's like a crippling problem, the White Sox have much bigger problems than just the Harper or Machado deal alone. So that's why I, I'm more cavalier with it and saying like, you know, go 10, 300, 320, 350. Um, like, yeah, I think as long as it's not like, say, you know, the White Sox aren't overbidding, you know, like having to pay... 400 when you know other teams can get by 300 because the White Sox have no bargaining power. You know that's maybe when I get a little bit you know anxious just because they're really blowing out the market and no team will catch up with it. And you know that that's when they might be looking a little bit weird. But I I think if they're bidding competitively with other teams, I wouldn't blink at 320 or 350 over 10 years if it came to that. But right now, I think that you know talking about seven-year deals now if these markets are unfolding as slowly as they are, I mean, they just have to go the pace of the market. So they're not being over anxious. And that's good because uh, I, I think teams know the lack of leverage they're dealing with. And it doesn't do them any good to look more desperate than they are. For me, Paul, I wouldn't go any
0: past 12 years because both players would be 38, obviously lots of uh, opt outs. And hopefully either Machado or Harper would take one of those opt outs during that course of the contract. But I think more importantly, I think $35 million a season. Couldn't Harper, or Machado, based on what players are currently making today, they would be the highest paid position players in Major League Baseball at that amount. So let's say Levine is right, and the White Sox are only going to offer a seven-year deal, but they offer it at $35 million to Manny Machado. Does a seven-year, $245 million deal get Manny Machado? He would be the highest paid player until Bryce Harper signs. In Major League Baseball, that's something uh, I've been wondering.
1: That's kind of close to the Zach Greinke and David Price deals. Well, they're pitchers. do, you, yeah. do we want to compare pitchers to position players? Well, I mean, like I, I think if you're an everyday player and starters are being devalued, um, with bullpenning coming along, that you know you might want to create more. If you're Machado or Harper, you might want more separation. So, would you go forty
0: million if you're only willing to offer seven?
1: How high will you go? On the per year basis, that doesn't phase me. Like I guess too much. Uh, it, okay. it does seem extreme, but also for seven years, and talking about getting out of a contract by like you know thirty four, thirty five. I I think you know that's kind of the analytic play, and then something that hasn't really been pursued too often when it comes to mega deals. You know, massive average annual value, short term. Uh, I think we're seeing it more with you know these these over thirty free agents. You know, going shorter, but. Now with the mega deals, but yeah, 7 4 um, seems, it's extreme, but feasible just because of, you know, how, you know, how, uh, you know, they won't have an Albert Pujols situation to where, you know, it gets to 40 and they're still sweating it out. Next question. Let's say Manny
0: Machado signs with the New York Yankees. And this comes from Greg Stieber. And this is a very real possibility, despite the Yankees signing Troy Tulewitzki as an insurance plan at shortstop, while Didi Gregorius is recovering from Tommy John's surgery. Miguel Andujar, I thought, had a great offensive season in 2018. It's why he received some Rookie of the Year votes. But defensively, well, this is why the Yankees are interested in Manny Machado. But Greg is asking, let's say Machado signs with the Yankees, Jim. What do you think it would take for the White Sox to get Miguel Andujar and would you like to see this happen?
1: I think for, to answer the second question first, as I tend to do, I think, you know, it comes down to Anduhar's not a third baseman, um, at least not the way he played, unless he has some kind of un, unlikely Marcus Semian like improvements with his hands, it, there's just not a third baseman there. He was really bad. So I think if you're inquiring Anduhar, you're thinking of him more as a first baseman or a DH and when it comes to first base, I mean, Jose Abreu is there now, but he's only there for a year, so that's not so much of a concern. But I think it's more of a matter of what the White Sox think is going to happen with their outfield and whether they need DH or first base as a uh, pressure release. You know, should there be four outfielders for three spots and say, like, you know, we, we've talked about it briefly before, you know, Eloy Jimenez, should he be the weakest link in the outfield, you know, would he be OK at first? you know, or DH, you know, would that be the ultimate play? So I think, uh, um, Andrew Har is just, yeah, he's not somebody, yeah, I like the bats. I, I think it's, he's really been surprising. You know, when you look at his prospect reports, he's, you know, often fans complain about Yankees prospects being overhyped. And I think he is maybe a bit under the radar, you know, maybe with Glaber Torres there, you know, the lack of oxygen, but no, I like the bat a lot. Um, but just the yeah, third base defense isn't there. So you're kind of going to th- first base. So I'm not sure it's. Worth going for him at this time, based on just who else the White Sox have coming up, and who might need those positions.
0: Hey, if Joe McEwing can help Tim Anderson be a better shortstop, maybe the White Sox can work some magic with Miguel Andujar. I don't know. I I am in the boat. I would like to see it happen, Jim. There's a lot of years left as far as service time. It's just this is why with the Yankees' pursuit of Machado is so fascinating to me. Because, yeah, defensively he's bad. But it sounds like in the off season he's been working with Adrian Beltre. So maybe he will be better defensively coming to 2019. But that bat, yeah. I mean, to have a 25-homer, 40-double type of bat entering your lineup and you'll have him for the next five, six
1: years. I... Unless it turns out that, you know, it, it's like Wellington Castillo working with Jose Molina on his framing over the winter That uh, Mm, (laughs) name, recognition, and reputation doesn't quite rub off. Very true.
0: All right. Let's not talk about catching. Uh, I guess that's a depressing topic for me. Our last question that we have in the mailbag about Mitch Hodder and Harper comes from Vic. And Vic is going back into the history books here, Jim. And he tweeted to us, this offseason reminds me of the Miguel Cabrera offseason do the White Sox have a better chance of signing either Bryce Harper or Manny Machado now than they did have a better chance of obtaining Miguel Cabrera. And I thought Miggy was a trade to Detroit, not a free agency.
1: Yes. Yep. It was kind of similar though, where the market was limited just because of how much he was going to cost in prospects and what the, you know, what the Marlins wanted to send with, you know, so basically it was sending a lot of prospects and eating a lot of cash and the White Sox were, you know, the Tigers gave up a lot uh, when it came to the prospect value with Cameron Mabin and Andrew Miller. Uh, I think Jacob Turner, too. So I think, you know, those are three top 50 prospects, top, definitely top 100 prospects. And, you know, Mabin was one of the top 20. He never quite panned out. He's been an okay player times, but not, you know, a centerpiece. And, and you know, the prospect cost was, uh, you yeah, know, the Tigers locked out there. And then uh, I think it was Dontrell Willis and maybe somebody else coming back where you know, they want to accept the salary, and, and the White Sox just didn't want to do both, I think. Uh, the White Sox were willing to talk prospects, willing to talk money, but weren't quite willing to give the combinations. We've seen them with the Tigers and and uh, Mike Illich and Dave Dombrowski that they were willing to spend money and and willing to trade prospects. So I think it's kind of similar. The markets are limited, and it's kind of a two- to three-team race. But uh, yeah, I think the, the calculus on trades... And, and prospect value and future value versus in this case with Machado and Harper, just money um, doesn't quite make it an apples, apples comparison.
0: All right, guys, thank you so much for submitting questions again for future episodes of the Sox Machine podcast. We'll answer those questions in PO Sox. And if you support us on Patreon, Jim will be tackling some of your questions in a new post on SoxMachine.com. So you'll be able to read Jim's responses to your guys' well-thought-out questions for those that support us on Patreon. I think that's a good place to end with the Harper Machado rumor, so we're going to take a quick break with a word from our sponsor, and we'll discuss the new television contract the White Sox have next on the Sox Machine Podcast. A quick word from our sponsor. This February, follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona For Cactus League Spring Training, amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventure, incredible food, Arizona is the perfect home base for all baseball fans. Arizona is a -a one-of-a-kind spring training experience with all 10 stadiums within 50 miles of Phoenix. Check out amazing restaurants and great craft breweries like Four Peaks, Angels Trumpet Ale House, and Goldwater Brewery Company. Bring the kids along as Arizona is a fantastic destination for families with resorts and hotels offering plenty of fun like water parks, horseback rides, and activities for kids of all ages. Don't forget bucket list items like visiting the Grand Canyon, Monument Valley, and Horseshoe Bend. Forget dealing with cabin fever in Chicago this winter. Instead, make your way to Arizona for spring training. Plan your spring training getaway at visitarizonacom slash spring training. Again, that's visitarizonacom slash spring training. The Chicago White Sox announced a new deal with NBC Sports Chicago, where they will remain the next five years, according to John Greenberg of The Athletic. Of course, the Chicago Bulls will be paired with the White Sox, but also the Blackhawks will be sticking with the NBC Sports agreement with the other two teams. That means that the Chicago Cubs will have their own cable network very soon. It was the worst-kept secret in Chicago media. Other than the Cubs leaving, the big news is that every game, every game will be on NBC Sports Chicago. No more WGN, for which for cable cutters, this could be problematic in trying to watch the White Sox games as there won't be any local, over-the-air options. So Jim, with his new TV deal being announced... In what ways does this benefit the
1: White Sox? It's hard to tell at first exactly, uh, when it came to the uh, news as of the merge with the Cubs uh, breaking off on their own to start the marquee network, um, and the other three teams um, you know sticking together. The report, initial reports a little bit uninspiring saying that, you know, it sounded like there, you know, wasn't a guarantee of upfront money, given it's only a five-year deal and it might be you know, a similar size pie, but the team's getting bigger slices of it because there are only uh, three teams rather than four carving it up. But John Greenberg in his latest athletic column, end of the year media column, did say that uh, there could be higher carriage fees, uh, you know, for carrying uh, NBC Sports Chicago, which I think makes more sense, um, you know, just kind of, you know, logically uh, when it comes to a five-year deal, because I think there's a lot of uncertainty with the TV markets with cable subscriptions, with streaming, all the, you know, different streaming options, whether MLB will be streaming directly, you know, all this stuff is up in the air. So I think it makes sense for both sides, maybe the White Sox and NBC Sports Chicago um, to kind of, you know, we're talking, it's similar to kind of a free agent deal. You know, we're talking about like, you know, maybe not wanting to get locked into a 10-year deal, but a five-year deal with a higher average value might make more sense for both parties in which, you know, it's kind of like an opt out for both. And we're, you know, maybe five years at the subscribers are down uh, ratings. Aren't quite there to justify the carriage fees. You know, the, the uh, cable carriers have to more, more flexible teams are, you know, kind of giving into streaming being the first way to go and all these deals are rewritten. So, you know, that might be beneficial to both sides, but I think in order for that logic to check out, Uh, the White Sox would have to get an average, you know, like with free agents, a higher average annual value. So I'm, you know, that's kind of where logic dictates or or, or kind of brings me. to The point where it should, you know, add more money to the White Sox funds. It's just not something you can bank on, you know, for 15, 20 years like these previous TV deals, like, you know, the Dodgers and such have strict with, uh, you know, their regional sports networks. Yeah, but the regional sports networks are in flux, right? After yeah. Disney
0: bought Fox and the government is requiring Disney to sell them off, there's 22 regional sports networks that are up in the air. They're still, We still don't have an idea who the buyers are. If you're really interested in that, Awful Announcing is doing a really good job, so go to AwfulAnnouncing.com. Keeping track on who wants to buy these regional sports networks, to me it's fascinating because – It changes a lot of the ways that fans watch these games. Now, for me, I like this deal that all the games are in NBC Sports Chicago. If you follow me on Twitter, at SoxMachine underscore Josh, shameless plug, uh, you know that I complain when games are in WGN during the afternoon because you can't stream them. So... I'm not able to watch I'm stuck on the radio and following the game along on game day but now on NBC Sports Chicago with me living in Chicago I can watch all the games on my phone no matter where I am NBC Sports Chicago does need to allow those that are cable subscribers that so happen to travel out of the market to still be able to watch the games through the cable provider but I digress. I understand for those that are cutting cable, Jim, and there are more every single day. There's about two million fewer cable subscribers in 2018 than there were in 2017. That is a big number in the United States. Uh, that they could be disappointed that, that there isn't an option for them to watch locally. And I wonder really how much money, like you were talking about, like this may not be a big of a TV boost. This like the Dodgers got. But then again, the Dodgers had a big mess with their Mm -hmm. new TV deal, right? Uh, So as long as the White Sox and Bulls and Blackhawks can make it available for a lot of fans to watch, maybe not all, uh, maybe it could possibly work over the next five years. Now, I think this is where I want to end the show, just kind of a, a fun way to look at how we watch games today. Uh, let's look ahead f- five years from now, Jim. In what ways do you envision fans watching White Sox games when this TV deal
1: is done? Will it still be on cable? I imagine there will have to be a cable option. I, I think that maybe the technology is too ingrained. It kind of reminds me of you know um, newspapers, you know, being near and dear to my heart. So that you know you can't quite kill print yet, just because that's where the money is. That's where a certain amount of guaranteed income is that can't be replaced through other models yet and other ads yet. And the technology is there and it's in bars and it's in, um, you know, homes and, and, you know, apartment complexes and all this kind of stuff. It just hardwired in there already to where, you know, if the technology's there, it has to, you know, probably will still be used. And, um, you know, maybe as these, you know, you know, streaming systems get more a la carte, maybe cable takes that model to where there are more packages, and you know it's not just a kind of a monolithic entity so I can see cable still existing but just more and more of these streaming services you know chipping off parts of the business and then the streaming services as we've seen with other models um, kind of reminds me of like satellite radio where you have two satellite radios and then all of a sudden they're one I imagine you will see some streaming services drop off and others merge and and kind of combine and That'll be its own issue. <laughs> I think they'll kind of run back into the whole cable being expensive and, and offering channels you don't want. So uh, I think it's there's a little bit of uh, circular logic with the whole TV buying experience, but I think that's just because that's what makes money and there will always be a natural urge for those companies to sell uh, you know sell customers more than they want.
0: I wonder if a team in the next five years makes the jump decides to sell their broadcasting rights to Amazon or Facebook or YouTube. Maybe because you could, because you could still watch the games on smart TVs through those three apps. And Amazon has been broadcasting or stream. They've been buying the streaming rights for the NFL games. So you could, if you don't have cable, if you don't have the NFL network uh, for like Thursday nights, for example, you could watch those games on Amazon I know the Chicago Cubs through ABC7 were live-streaming games on Facebook, and I thought that was really interesting. The technology wasn't all that dependable, but we're talking about five years of the future. The technology will improve in five years. So I, that that's the one thing that's on my mind if anyone will make that plunge. If a team is, well, instead of signing on with an NBC Sports, like have a regional sports network that they just decide to broadcast all of their games on a streaming platform like either amazon facebook or youtube
1: yeah i think it would take a team like maybe in oakland situation um where you have a market hmm. that is heavily you know heavily involved in tech and you know none of this is foreign to a lot of the audience but also they, they draw relatively low tv ratings i think they've had problems with the radio home they have um, jumping around and yeah and so it's like you know they've had trouble striking deals they have another you know team in the market that's kind of just taking up more of the the mind share and airwaves and everything like that and maybe they decide to go out on their own after you know kind of having fatigue with these deals but it just seems like you know based on you know baseball having an older and older average age that um, it, it wouldn't seem smart to totally go up on the people who are still hardwired and, and haven't gotten into streaming technology and smart TVs and watching on their phones and tablets and such.
0: That's a good point. But I, I think baseball kind of needs to ignore that number and they got to figure out a way to get younger. And I think a good way to get younger is to start streaming more of these games and not be so dependent on cable.
1: Yeah. It's, it's going to be a tough, uh, I I think it's going to be tough um, distance to cover you know, between keeping the older fans happy, but also trying... Yeah, you because know, they've had a lot of success with MLB TV. And I, I think they... Well, now they've, li- uh, they've licensed their technology to NHL. But I mean, ahead of the other teams that they, they were in leagues, they were the premier streaming option. So I think they've had a lot of success there. And I think it's worth their while to keep pursuing that and, and trying to be ahead of the other leagues and offering the best streaming experience. But yeah, I just don't think that, you know, in terms of the revenue and capturing fans and, and keeping the numbers up to where they don't fall behind, uh, you know, NBA and NFL and NHL further where they're like the fourth sport. I think they do have, they can't abandon those older fans, even if they do want to get more aggressive and maybe try to uh, minimize the effect of the blackout rules. That um, I, I think does hurt younger fans more than older fans.
0: Yeah. I hate the blackout rules. I wish they would find a way to get rid of them, but I think that's just a dream, Joshua. Uh, You mentioned the NBA. Uh, Here's a weird idea. Virtual reality. Because the NBA has been toying with this, where if you have a a VR headset, there is this company that's installing VR cameras at NBA arenas. And when you put on the VR headset, it's pay-per-view, but it's like you're in the stadium, in which you have the point of view on where these cameras are set up and these cameras are set up on really close to the court, like right almost on the floor. Like courtside seats. So courtside seats. Yeah. It's it's like terrific seats in these NBA arenas. And these people that have the VR sets, the NBA is thinking that you're willing to pay $10 to watch a game like this. Uh, if it's out of market, let's say you live in Chicago, but you want to watch like the Lakers and the, the Golden State Warriors at the Staples Center you can put on your VR headset. You can log into the app. You can pay the $10. It would be like if you're sitting in the Staples Center. Uh, I, I find this to be really intriguing. I don't know how successful it's going to be, but would you ever watch a baseball game, Jim, via a VR headset? Like I could be the Eminem guy? Yeah, but you are in Albany, okay? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're you're in New York. And you decide, you know, I don't want to watch this via the stream. And you have a VR headset and you put it on and it's like you're there. You get that perspective instead of being the regular perspective where you're watching a broadcast.
1: It would be cool for the postseason. Hmm. Okay. Like, yeah, I think for a normal, I'm thinking for a normal White Sox game where they draw 20,000, I don't think it would be that impressive. Uh, I think with the NBA, when you sit, yeah, I've sat... Four rows up one time in an NBA game is when the Celtics were tanking. And I I saw, at least I saw the Spurs when they had uh, Duncan and Ginobili and such. So I saw one good team. The Celtics had given up, and so that's how I got those seats. But, you know, the thing about sitting, you know, that close to the court NBA is you get an idea of how physical the game is, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all the contact away from the ball, just how much, you know, how hard these guys play, how hard they hit the floor. And, you know, that's something I think that would be kind of cool to, to try to see if, um, you know, virtual reality and the headsets capture that, especially if you get the audio right. Um, you kind of like, uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, surround sound or whether it's, you know, good headphones, you know, whether it captures that kind of experience. I think the, you know, watching a game from that close to me, I've seen minor league games from, you know, playing times behind the plate and, you know, it's, I know what that sounds like. So I guess I wouldn't be that enamored with it. But I think, you know, you think about the game, like the, um, especially the White Sox, postseason appearances are so few and far between (laughs) that i think uh you know i have not been to a postseason game yet and like you know a case like the blackout game of the world series where you really want to be there you really want to know what it's like to be there that i think would be unique and i think you know, just kind of getting the experience of the fans and hearing the ambient noise and you know being able to look around and and stand up and sit down you know when everybody else is that would be pretty cool. And I think I would try that out. I don't know if it would be successful. I don't know if I'd enjoy it or get tired after, you know, after maybe two innings, but it's something I would try out and I would pay maybe a small fee to experiment with.
0: Yeah. I thought 3d TV was going to take off because of sports. Clearly I was wrong. Uh, that did not take off, but I'm curious in this virtual reality, just because it does offer you a different perspective Uh, I'm not well-versed in virtual reality. I haven't really tried out the headset, so I don't know if I would like it. Um, But I I find it to be an intriguing idea that the NBA is using it. If it takes off for the NBA, uh, you know it's going to be copied by the other leagues as well uh, for football, for hockey, and and I think even baseball as well. So that's something in five years from now on how we consume the game, uh, I'm putting that on the list with virtual reality and see if any teams take the plunge and sign. Instead of a regional sports network, they sign with a streaming company like Amazon, Facebook, or YouTube. So we'll see how the new five-year deal works out for the Chicago White Sox. Continue to stay on NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, But the good news is, again, for those that live in market, you'll be able to stream through the NBC Sports app. And for those that live out of the market, like Jim, you still have the MLB.tv package to be able to watch games. And that will do it for our first episode of 2019. Thank you guys so much for listening. We have, we have a couple of announcements here. Uh, one, if you remember last year, for those attended, we had a SoxFest after party. The very first day of SoxFest, which is a Friday, we were at Bader Brow last year. Rest in peace. We are going to have another SoxFest after party. This time it's going to be at Buffalo Wings and Rings on 35th and Halstead in Bridgeport. This is going to be Friday, January 25th from 7 p.m. to midnight. We're co-hosting this event with the From the 108 crew, so you know it'll be a fun time. Much hashtag 108 We will have a roundtable discussion. Jim and I will be there to answer your guys' questions. Also make our predictions for the upcoming season and what's been talked about at SoxFest. Hopefully we'll have some special guests as well. We hope to have a free shuttle taking fans from the Hilton Chicago to Buffalo Wings and Reigns. So if you are going to SoxFest and would like to attend the event, we'll get you more details as Buffalo Wings and Reigns will have, uh, hopefully, uh, we'll get more details on this, but a free shuttle that will take you from the hotel to the event. And you can RSVP at SoxMachine.com or on Eventbrite. Also, if you like our content and want to help support the show and website, Uh, As this has been, what, one year now, Jim, on Sox Machine since it's been rebooted. Uh, You Mm -hmm. can become a friend of the website and the show at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. You get ad-free podcasts, additional content from the podcast for Patreon supporters only. Our Patreon supporters get to ask questions to our guests. Exclusive content on SoxMachine.com. We have different levels of support starting at just So if you really enjoy our work and would like to support us, we have already over 240 supporters. Thank you guys so much for your support during 2018. We look forward to your continued support in 2019. And if you haven't started supporting us yet, if you'd like to, again, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up today. And again, that will do it for this first episode of 2019 for the Socks Machine podcast. If you just discovered the show, you can subscribe in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes. We are in Spotify. Also, Google Podcasts and audioboom.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
1: Lunch in the park, check. Hand sanitizer, check. Cancer screening, done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe.